number 19. Find your place in Luke chapter number 19. Let me encourage you, if you uh, um, want to be involved in what's happening uh, around Easter, let me encourage you uh, to get involved in that as far as volunteering. Uh, we don't need anybody to speak or anything like that in the drama. Uh, this is all, that's all been taken care of and everything else. Now, uh, what we're looking for in volunteers is uh, each, each week we're going to have a crowd. Uh, and uh, each week that crowd, uh, we're going to have to have people in that crowd. They won't be speaking this, they, they won't be speaking parts as far as singled out or anything of that nature, but uh, they will have a part in it. Also, uh, we're going to do some things different with our parking and different things like that, which won't affect any of y'all unless you're in the drama or in our choir or anything like that. But uh, we're going to utilize the property that we bought and uh, do some things with that. So <clears throat> anyhow... If you want to be a part of that, helping out with parking and helping out with things like that, uh, uh, we want you to get involved and want you to be involved for Easter. We're looking forward to what God's going to do. We're going to start Easter off uh, with a, I'm talking about, it's going to be a strong salvation message. And uh, we're doing the impact of Calvary. And we're going to look at four individuals and the way that uh, uh, Calvary impacted them. And uh, I don't think I've let y'all know what, what the four uh, uh, individuals are. So we'll keep that a secret. But anyhow, uh, first one is going to be a huge and uh, let me encourage you to be here for that. And uh, that'll be on Easter Sunday. And uh, this will go on uh, for four weeks. It, uh, it, it's four parts. So it'll begin on Easter and go to three weeks after Easter. So invite folks to come, not only to Easter, but invite them to come and, uh, and to stick around uh, for the rest of it as well. And uh, I promise you it'll be a blessing as we walk through uh, four individuals' lives that was impacted uh, by Calvary. All right. Now, leading up to that, uh, here about four or five weeks ago, I started, and I, I didn't mean to, but it kind of got into a, a, a series, and uh, as people uh, got interested, and we started where Jesus, I believe, was about two weeks out to ten days out from the cross, and we started following his footsteps. And so uh, we've been walking with Jesus over the last few weeks, each week uh, basically representing a day or, or whatever, but we've been walking with him. We were 10 weeks out from Easter, and so we started around that time, and we began to walk. We started with Jesus uh, uh, telling his disciples and prophesying to them that he must go to Jerusalem and his purpose for going to Jerusalem. He flat out told them that he was going there to die. He told them that he was going and the Jews would take him. The Jews would deliver him to the Gentiles. The Gentiles would crucify him, placing him on a cross. They would crucify him, place him in a grave. And then three days later, he would rise again. And so Jesus laid it all out before he ever went. But let me say this, the disciples had a hard time understanding Understanding, uh, the, the wording and the, how Jesus was talking. The reason they do, and I hope we get a little better understanding of it today, is because of what we're going to see today in Scripture. But they had a problem with this Messiah that was going to come and die on a cross, all right? And keep that in your memory and we'll keep walking. And we came into Jericho. As we came into Jericho, uh, as we drew nigh to Jericho, the Bible says there was some uh, a blind men that was sitting by the wayside. And so uh, blind Bartimaeus received his sight. Uh, we went on into Jericho and in Jericho, uh, we found Zacchaeus, a wee little man. And we seen uh, God showing us uh, uh, through parables. Uh, you'll remember the parable of the rich man and uh, uh, and then the, uh, uh, the or excuse me, the publican and the Pharisee. You remember that? And uh, that was the parable. And uh, the Pharisee beat on his chest and said, I'm glad I'm not like this publican, right? And then right after that, there was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he refused. And Jesus said, it's hard for the rich, all right, uh, to receive the kingdom. And then the next person we meet is Zacchaeus. He's a rich publican. <laughs> and, uh, he climbs a tree to see Jesus. And of course that day uh, Zacchaeus and his household was saved. And so uh, God is moving now. He's heading to the cross. Uh, we went and we visited our friend Lazarus. And uh, man, Lazarus uh, was dead. And Jesus called him out of the grave, called him out of the tomb. And uh, Lazarus came forth. And of course, uh, we looked at that as uh, Jesus presented himself to Mary, or and to Martha rather, as I am the resurrection and the life. You'll remember that. And then we moved forward from that. And last week, we looked at Mary. And Mary, the Bible says, six days out, uh, uh, six days before the Passover, 
that Mary anointed the feet of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that this anointing was for his burial. She did it for his burial. We looked at that. And also, I told y'all last week that this is what prompted Judas to go out and make his deal, if you will, for 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus Christ. Now, we're moving forward. And now we come to a place in Scripture in Luke chapter number 19. It's also found in Matthew chapter number 21. It's also found in Mark chapter number 11. It's also found in John chapter number 12, but we're going to look at the passage of Scripture here in Luke chapter number 19. We'll begin our reading in verse number 28, and this happened on what we refer to as Palm Sunday. How many of y'all has heard that terminology before? Palm Sunday, all right? This is a reference to to this passage of Scripture. It is a reference that is used to describe uh, Jesus' triumphant entry. All right, he's, he's coming into Jerusalem, as we'll see this morning. He's entering into Jerusalem, and he's uh, entering in and presenting himself as king. All right, now, why did Jesus come? Somebody help me. Uh, he come to die, exactly. He come to prophecy. He prophesied that he was coming, but he come to die. But he said this, the Son of Man has come but to seek and to save, remember that, that which was lost, all right? Now, the problem that the Jews would have with this is that they were looking for a Messiah that was the king. Is everybody with me? All right, so all Old Testament prophecies would have been the Messiah coming as king, you remember the Messiah had the Davidic covenant on him. In other words, that he was going to reign from the throne of David forever. Is everybody with me? So they were looking for a Messiah that would come through the lineage of David, which Jesus did. But they were looking for a Messiah that would come through the lineage of David. But when he came, he was going to overthrow the government. He was going to overthrow the world. I mean, he, they were going to become a world power. And he was going to sit on David's throne in Jerusalem and rule not just for a period of time, but forever. There was no, is everybody with me? There was no, there was no death in the picture. Amen. When it came to the Messiah, they weren't thinking, oh, he's going to come and he's going to die at any point. And so this is the problem that the Jews still have with Jesus being proclaimed as the Messiah. Because as far as they're concerned, the Messiah still has not come. Is everybody with me? All right, now, uh, so when Jesus does this, he is presenting himself to them as they see him in prophecy and in Scripture. All right, but Jesus is not going to rule and reign until the millennium. Is everybody with me? So Jesus, this time where Jesus will triumphantly enter into Jerusalem is going to be at a later date. And at that time, he will set up his kingdom. And we know that that will take place after the tribulation period. All right. Now, let's begin our reading. The Bible says, and when uh, he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the, a which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man set. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were, uh, and, and they that were sent, went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King. Is everybody with me? That's a capital K. Blessed be the King that cometh 
in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto them, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these hold, or should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. As we look at this passage of scripture, it is called the triumphant entry. But it is a fulfillment of a prophecy that we find all the way back in the book of Zechariah. Uh, and I'm not there. Zechariah chapter number 9, and in verse number 9, the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And so this is a prophecy that is being fulfilled by Jesus. You have to understand that Jesus' life, when we look through Scripture and we walk through Scripture, there's many prophecies about the Messiah, and they all had to be fulfilled. And so there was things that were done. We're going to see prophecies fulfilled even on the cross as they go. And uh, at the end of when Jesus gave up the ghost, uh, they went to break the legs of the prisoners that were hanging on the cross, and yet uh, they did not break the legs of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that a prophecy was fulfilled because the Bible said that they that while they while he suffered, not one bone was broken of his body. And so even on the cross, even after he had given up the ghost, prophecy was still being fulfilled. And so as we look this morning at this triumphant entry, I want you to notice first off the prophecy. The prophecy. We see the prophecy in Zechariah chapter number 9 and we see that Jesus here is presenting himself as king over Israel. He is presenting himself as king of the Jews. He is fulfilling a prophecy but I want you to notice at the end of this thing the Bible says he wept over over it. There's a reason for that, and we'll talk about that in detail here in a few moments. But th at this time, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. This is the, I, I, and I know I've been saying this all along, but, but this really is no turning back from this place. When he presented himself as king, he set in motion the events of the cross. And, I, I, and we looked at Lazarus, and when he raised Lazarus from the dead, they started to conspire on how they would kill him but when he entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and presenting himself as king and allowing his disciples and the multitude to cry out Hosanna and blessed be the king when he did that there was no turning back from that point on, the cross was imminent. The cross was as sure as Monday morning is tomorrow if the Lord doesn't come back, all right? It was coming. It was coming. And so Jesus is fulfilling this or fulfilling this prophecy by entering in to Jerusalem as king. The Bible tells us, and man, I, I'm going to step on some things if I'm not careful, but I, I, I'll wait on that. But anyhow, we'll talk about it in a minute. But he is presenting himself as king to Israel because that's what they were looking for and because that is what fulfilled prophecy. There was another prophecy that many people don't know about that was also fulfilled during this time. And how many of y'all has ever heard of the 70 weeks of Daniel? Have y'all heard of that? If you hadn't, listen here. I got a Bible college. It's free. It don't cost you anything. All you got to do is come and I'll teach you things like that, all right? The 70 weeks of Daniel was a prophecy of 490 years. That 490 years would begin at a time. As a matter of fact, the date is set. It began March 14th, 445 B.C. And so uh, that date, that date was, has, is very prevalent in, in Daniel chapter number 9, in verse number 24, and that was what I was looking for on my phone, but in Daniel chapter number 9, and in verse number uh, uh, 24, 
The Bible tells us about the Messiah coming. It says this, it says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the Most High. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Now that means 62 weeks plus seven weeks, 69 weeks of David's 70 week prophecy. All right, I know that might sound confusing, but stay with me, all right? He says this, And the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. In other words, that last seven weeks is going to be trouble. There was 69 weeks that was going to happen, and then the Messiah was going to come in that last year. He was going to come, or not in that last year, but he was going to come towards the end of that. And then the Bible tells us, go on to the next verse. And after three score and two weeks, and don't forget the seven weeks we added to it uh, for the building of the Jerusalem of Jerusalem, after the restoration, all right, is everybody, am I confusing y'all? All right, so they, they're in captivity. God restores Israel. They go back and they build Jerusalem. At that point, this prophecy begins. Seventy, year, or 70 uh, uh, weeks is actually 70 years. All right, each week representing a year, all right? Or excuse me, that's wrong. Hold on a minute. So 70 weeks equals seven years, all right? Each week equals seven years. So we're 490 weeks out. At the end of this thing, the Bible tells us on the 69, that's 483 years later, that the Messiah would come and he shall be cut off. If you go and do the math, from math, from, from, if you take it from uh, 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 March 14th, 445 B.C., and you add up the days, 483 years, and you add up the days, it comes out to April 6, 32 A.D., which is the exact date that Jesus rode into Jerusalem to present himself as king. Is everybody with me? Prophecy. Say, preacher, what about them last seven years? How many of y'all's heard of the mystery of the church? The Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament prophets did not see the church. That's why it's called a mystery. We talked about mountaintop and valley prophecies, right? And so what they were seeing was they seen the 483 years, but they missed the valley that was the church or the mystery. And then they picked back up at the tribulation period, which is a seven-year period, which would bring us to 490, right? And then Jesus will sit on the throne. So we are living in the church age or the mystery that Paul speaks of in the book of Corinthians and in his writings, a mystery of the church, all right? Daniel prophesied that the Messiah would be cut off on this date, 483 years after the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt and Jerusalem was restored. So not only was Jesus riding in and he was fulfilling a prophecy of Zechariah chapter number 9, but he was also fulfilling a prophecy all the way back in Daniel chapter number 9 and in verse number 24 through verse number 27. And so uh, and most people don't even look at that date, but say, preacher, but he didn't die on this date. No, but he was rejected as king on this date, April 6, 32 A.D. And that is exactly when they say Jesus rode into Jerusalem. So we see the prophecy. It began on March 14, uh, 445 B.C. It ended here with Jesus' triumphal entry, April the 6, 32 A.D., the exact date that he rode into Jerusalem. So we see the prophecy. But I want you to notice not only the prophecy, I want you to notice the presentation. The presentation, because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where Jesus offers himself 
as king. We see this in the vessel that he chose. Now you and I, we look at a donkey and we think a donkey is, is not a very smart animal. Can I get a witness? Uh, we look at a donkey and he's not held in high regard. As a matter of fact, if we were to choose for our king to ride in on something, he's going to ride in on a big old horse. I mean, it's going to be pretty. It's going to look, I, I, is everybody all right? I mean, it's going to be awesome. But the truth of the matter is, is the culture of that day, the king, when he came in peace, he rode upon a donkey. When he came for war, he rode upon a horse. And so and this was something that even in his vessel that he chose, he was telling them who he was. It would be like riding in on a Bentley. Versus riding in on an F-250. Is everybody all right? I, I mean, he was letting them know who he was by what he rode. We know that he sent two disciples in to get this uh, donkey and that they brought him to him and that no man had ever sat on this thing. So even in that, we see his creative power. This was God who had domain over everything, who could walk on the water, who could speak peace be still, and the wind stopped. And now he takes a donkey that's never been broke, that's never been ridden, and he rides upon this donkey and presents himself as king, as a come in. So not only do we see the vessel in the presentation, but I want you to notice this, the gate that he chose. Every time that Jesus prior to this in Scripture, when he comes into Jerusalem, each time he enters into the sheep gate. The sheep gate is where they brought all of the sheep for the sacrifices, where they brought the lambs for the sacrifice. It was next to the temple, but it was placed where they could bring the lambs in for the sacrifice over and over again, Jesus was letting everybody know that He was the Lamb of God and that He was coming to offer Himself as a sacrifice and that He would lay down His life for those that don't even realize that they need it. But this time, in the triumphal entry, He did not come in by the sheep gate. He come in through the golden gate. If you've been with me over to Jerusalem, you've known we've stood on the Mount of Olives and we've looked down at that eastern gate which is known as the golden gate, which is known as the gate of eternal life, which is known as the mercy gate, which is known as the gate that is called beautiful in your Bible. But we have looked at that gate, and you I, I wish I'd brought a picture up here and put it on the screens for you, but that gate is bricked off. How many of y'all remember me showing y'all that? That brick is bricked completely off. And it was done by the Muslims, all right, by the Muslim. As a matter of fact, his name was Solomon, and he did that to keep the Messiah from coming in. But what he didn't know was that he had already come through that gate. He had already, years before, came through that gate riding on a donkey, presenting himself as king to Jerusalem. Now, preacher, what about the prophecy that he's going to come back through that gate? Oh, there's coming a day, my friend. He's going to come back. We call it his second coming. He's going to come down and he's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives and he's going to come through that gate and ain't no brick going to stop him. There ain't no graveyard out there that's going to stop him. He's going to walk right into that temple because that it, he is God. I told y'all when we were over there, it's crazy. They blocked that thing up. They put bricks all over it and then they put a Muslim graveyard out in front of it. And then the Jews said, well, if you're going to do that, we're going to put a graveyard on the Mount of Olives. So you got the valley there and you got, you got the graveyard on the, if this is the Mount of Olives, you got the graveyard of the Jews because when they come, when he comes back, they want to be the first ones out. Uh, you think I'm lying. I ain't. These people are crazy. Is everybody all right? Hey, hey, bury me up there on the Mount of Olives. That way when he comes back, I'll be the first one to see him. All right? And then they go through the valley. And then the Muslims, they built them a graveyard coming up to the, the walls of Jerusalem and to the eastern gate. Because Solomon, he built this and uh, he, he, he put the graveyard out there and he closed off the gate to keep the Messiah out. He said the Messiah can't touch any unclean thing. So they put the, the, uh, uh, the cemetery there to keep the Messiah from... How stupid are you, right? I need somebody to help me. If he comes back, mm, mm, when he comes back, ain't nothing going to stop him. If he's got the power to come back in that capacity, your brick and mortar ain't going to stop him and ain't no grave going to stop him. If he's already risen from the grave at, uh, by his own power, then I'm telling you a headstone ain't going to stop him. 
That's how, that's how crazy the world is. How crazy religion is. But Jesus, He shows us, not only in the vessel that He chose to ride into Jerusalem, but He shows us at the gate that He chose that He was presenting Himself as the Messiah King. The Bible tells us that when He came there and He entered in through that gate, that there was a celebration. The Bible says that they cried out, Hosanna, blessed be he that come in the name of the Lord, blessed be the King. Man, they are crying out. It's as if they're almost saying, look at me, look at me. They're saying, save now. Save us now. This is what they're crying out. But what they don't realize was He was coming to save us now. It just wasn't on their terms. It wasn't how they had uh, uh, thought that it should happen. And so they're there. The Bible says that they, uh, in other parts of Scripture, that they, they take and they cast garments on the donkey and they, they take palm trees and they, they straw in the way and they're crying out hosannas and they're praising Him as the King. They're praising Him as the Messiah. They're praising Him as God. And the Pharisees had a problem with it. I, I, I've never found, I've never found a place of worship where somebody didn't have a problem. Amen. Never found it. I, I, I can remember when I was at Victory, I, and I used to be that person. Everybody all right? I used to be that person. I used to have the problem with the people that was acting crazy. I used to sit there and look at them, and I was like, man, what is wrong with them? I can remember, I've told this story before, but I, 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 this is the story that impacted my life. So you take it for what it's worth. But Miss Lorraine, she wasn't about that tall. Is everybody right? When she sat, she sat on the front row, and uh, I'm, I'm telling you, she sat on the front row and her legs would stick straight up, straight out of the, the, the pew right there, right? Little old thing. Miss Lorraine, her daughter was in my youth group. And uh, her daughter's doing great, by the way, and got youngins. Uh, Miss Lorraine's going on to be with the Lord. Her husband's going on to be with the Lord. But uh, I, I was there, Miss Lorraine, little old thing. She was, uh, she'd sing in the choir. And uh, anyhow, man, it'd get going good at the church, and she was one of them that liked to run. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Amen. I mean, have you ever been in a church service where somebody just took off running? Right? I mean, you don't know what's going on. Like, the well, uh, first time I'd ever seen it, I was at Victory, and I'm like, what has <laughs> just happened? Right? Well, this little old lady, she get up there, she sang in the choir. Well, uh, she wasn't very, man, the choir up there, when we were at the choir, it, had, it probably had 130, 140 people in the choir. And anyhow, uh, she'd be sitting in the middle of them. She'd be back there in the middle of them and everything else. Of course, she's so short, you couldn't see her. Amen. Everybody all right? And they'd be standing up singing, and then all of a sudden you see Miss Lorraine. You see this little head. I need somebody to help me. I mean, you really couldn't see her because she still wasn't as tall as everybody. But she'd come running down them chairs, wide open, coming through there, all the way down. She'd be running, and you could just see her little head bobbing. I was going around. And then, boy, she hit the side, and it was like 200 steps. It felt like it anyhow. Down to the bottom of that thing, and that auditorium sat 1,500 people, and she'd run all the way around that thing. She'd come back. She'd get back up there in her seat. Woo! She'd praise the Lord. I thought, you have lost your mind. <laughs> right? I watched Miss Lorraine as years passed by. Her youngin was, like I said, I was close to her youngin. We did a lot with her child, and, and, and both of her kids, but her daughter more so than any. And anyhow, I noticed with Miss Lorraine that that auditorium had, it had aisles, and it seemed like the laps would get shorter. She started, and she'd go all the way around. Then it wasn't very long, and she'd just go maybe three-quarters of the way around. Then it wasn't very long, she'd go about halfway around. Then it wasn't long, she'd be about a quarter of the way around. Then it wasn't very long, Brother Johnny, all she could do was come down off steps, and she wasn't coming down fast at all. <clears throat> I stood by her grave as we buried her, dying of cancer the whole time, worshiping the Lord the only way that she knew how. While I started off criticizing how she did it. Everybody all right? You better be careful how you talk about folks around here. They may not worship like you do. They may not look like you do, but you ain't been through what they've been through. That's 
you're not going through what they're going through. So you just leave that alone and you worship God how you need to worship God. The important thing is, is that you worship God. But here we've seen any time we see worship with his criticism. And here they are, they're strolling in the way and they're crying out hosannas. I'm talking about this is a big deal. I mean, this ain't no little old thing. It ain't 12 guys standing out there in front of Jesus saying, oh, you the man, you the man. Is everybody all right? This is a crowd. This is a multitude that is gathered. And they're saying, our king is here. This is what they've been waiting on. This is what they're excited about. This is like Democrats not winning the house. Is everybody all right? This is, a, this is exciting. Amen. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have went politic right there. But anyhow, it fit, it fit, right? And anyhow, we, <laughs> here they are, he's coming in and they're crying out, Hosannas, and they're crying out, Blessed be the king. And somebody says, wait a minute, why is your disciples doing all of this? Y'all remember, it was last week, Judas had a problem. Why? Why we pour out all this ointment on him? We could have sold that ointment for 300 pence and gave all that to the poor. That's right. Come on. Everybody, mm, nobody is going to put value on the Lord like you put value on the Lord. You ain't been through what I've been through. If you see me shout, you don't know what I'm shouting about. Hey, I need somebody to help me. They were criticizing. Said, Lord, rebuke them. Tell them to stop. And this is where Jesus said, if they, if they hold their peace, the rocks will cry out. Oh, I need somebody to help me. Jesus is telling them, I am the creator. I am God. And if these people will not worship me, creation will worship me. Creation will worship me. This celebration, we see this, this criticism by a Pharisee. But la the last sub-point there is we see his weeping. Jesus, take me back to the verses in Luke chapter number 19. It's towards the end where I read, not the last verse, uh, uh, but uh, those in can you help me? Uh, <clears throat> get me there and I'll, I'll, I'll try to help you. Uh, all right, go to the next one here. All right, and when he was, no, go up, go back up, I'm sorry. No, 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 you're right. Oh, stop. <laughs> you did good. Bible says, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Now go to the next verse. Saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this Thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Jesus was weeping because he knew they were looking for the wrong Messiah. Are you hearing me? This thing's been hid from them. In other words, his death. In other words, the cross. In other words, his sacrifice has been hid from them. That's right. And right now they're expecting him to overthrow a government and he is coming on a donkey riding in peace. That's right. Presenting himself as king on a mission to the cross. That's right. And he wept because they missed it. Amen. He wept because they missed it. We see the prophecy. We see the presentation, but we see the prompting. As we go through passages of Scripture, the Bible tells us, and we have, to, we have to put Scripture together, compare Scripture to Scripture, but the Bible tells us over in John chapter number 12, over in John chapter number 12, that something interesting happened right after this. Now we'll talk about, next week we'll talk about Jesus going into the temple and cleansing the temple, but in John chapter number 12, something happens very interesting after this. And up until this point, Jesus has over and over again, you'll remember at, when he turned water into wine, he said, my hour is not yet come. Over and over through scripture, we've seen Jesus saying, my hour has not yet come. After this triumphal entry, after the rejection 
of the people of Him as Messiah. Now they celebrated Him. Now listen, listen to me. This same crowd that cried out, Hosannas and blessed be the King, this same crowd in a matter of four days is going to be crying out, crucify Him. The same crowd. The same crowd. Why? Because He didn't come on their terms. I need you to understand that because I'm thinking to get somewhere with that. He did not come on their terms. And so we went from he is king to now crucifying. Crucify him, right? But before this happens, in John chapter number 12, the Bible says this. It says in verse number 20, it says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship, at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said signifying what death he should die. The hour has come. Jesus has presented himself as king. The people have celebrated it, but just a few moments later, they reject him. And now the Greeks come seeking after Jesus. Y'all missed that, didn't you? Here's what happened. The Gentiles now began seeking the Messiah. And Jesus said, now is the out. What does that mean to us? Because they rejected him, you and I get in. Is everybody all right? Because the Jews did not receive him as the king, and because the Jews did not receive him and his kingdom, you and I now have access to God. The, G- the Greeks began to seek him, and he said, Now is the hour come. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying your king's coming. I'm saying your king's coming. Just as Zechariah prophesied and said, Behold, Zion, thy king cometh. I'm telling you, your king is coming. Your Messiah came, your Savior came, and he died on a cross 2,000 years ago. He laid down his life for you. He gave his life so that you could go free. He offered himself as atonement for your sin, his precious life, his uh, life without spot and without blemish. He hung on a cross not because he was guilty, but because he loved you so much that he would not leave you in your sin and allow you to go to hell and he died on a cross for you and I. Our Savior has come, but your King is coming. Your King 
is coming. And the Bible tells us that there's coming a time where the clouds are going to split, the sky is going to split, a trumpet's going to sound out of heaven, and we which are alive shall be called up into heaven. The Bible says those that have gone on before us, they'll be called out of the grave first, I guess because they're slower because they've been dead, I don't know. Uh, but we're going to be called up together with them in the clouds, and we're forever going to be with our Lord and Savior. Your king is coming. Say, preacher, I'm going to wait to get saved. Your king is coming and you don't know the day. It could be today. Say, I got a long life ahead of me, not if the trumpet sounds. Say, I got a good life. I'm looking forward to doing some great things, but it won't happen if the trumpet sounds. Jesus has presented himself as king. He has showed us that he is Messiah and he's coming back. Just as he's... Is everybody all right? If he's fulfilled all of those prophecies about his coming, do you think he's not going to fulfill the prophecies about him coming back? Your king is coming. Your king is coming. You'll choose today. Jesus was never more kingly than in this last week of his life. He walked, he rode into Jerusalem. And presented to them a decision. Choose you. I need somebody to hear me. Oh, he come in meek and lowly, riding a donkey, an animal of peace, but an animal a king would ride. And he come in and he presented himself. But he brought them to a decision. This morning, he's bringing you to a decision. Your king's coming. Say, ain't my king. Oh, I need somebody to help me. (laughs) Philippians chapter number two tells us that every tongue is going to confess him. Every knee is going to bow down to him. You're not going to get, I need somebody to help me. Whether you like it or whether you don't, whether you're crying, blessed be the name of the Lord, or whether you're crying, crucify him, you're going to bow the knee and your tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Your king is coming. Say, well, I'll not serve that king. You don't have to serve that king. He's got, there's a place that's reserved for you if you don't want to serve the king. He's got a table reserved for you if you don't want to serve the king. But the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter number 1 that there's an inheritance in heaven that is reserved for us. Those that believe in Him. And we are kept by the power of God until the day of His coming. He's coming. The king's coming. The king's coming. Amen. Are you ready? That's right. Are you ready? Say, my grandma went to church all my life. It don't matter what your grandma did. Right. Say, my mom and daddy drug me to church. They, I, I had to go to church every time. It doesn't matter about your mom and daddy. That's right. Say, my husband goes to church. It doesn't matter. Say, my wife goes to church. It doesn't matter. I need somebody to help me. Your king is coming. Mama, your king's coming. Daddy, your king's coming. Youngin, your king is coming. You'll make a decision. This day, this triumphal entry, Jesus brought them to a decision. Here I am. I'm king. And they rejected him. Gentiles come looking for Jesus and he said here I am the lamb slain before the foundations of the world oh I need somebody to help me oh it was it was predetermined long before Adam ever said our savior our Adam would come and live a perfect life and die on a cross say preacher I just don't understand why he had to die Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter number 17 and verse number 11, he said, the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it unto you for atonement of sin. In other words, the blood is the only thing that God gave. The blood is the only thing that God gave for the atonement of sin. 
writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats ain't good enough. But it was a precious blood. Oh, that, was, that was Simon Peter. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That blood from a lamb without spot, without blemish, that blood was from God Himself. Divine blood. Powerful blood. Shed for the atonement of sins. Shed for the atonement of my sins. Shed for the atonement of your sin. Your king's coming. Could be before lunch. Could be before this afternoon. Could be before you lay your head down on the pillow. Could be before you leave the house in the morning. Could be while you're sleeping. I need somebody to hear me. God ain't waiting on America to wake up before he does something. It's all going to happen over there. Uh, and when it happens over there, it's going to immediately happen here. Is everybody all right? Somebody needs to wake up this morning because you've been playing around. Thinking you got plenty of time, but you don't. Today could be the day. Your king is coming. Your king's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? How many times have you rejected him over and over again and yet he still? I was there over and over again. I said no over and over again. I walked away over and over again. I said I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to live my life my way. September 28, 1997, I sat in the church and the Holy Spirit said, your king is coming. Maybe not in so many words, but I knew right then it was time for me to make a decision. I can either kneel down in this lifetime or I'll kneel down in the next. But my king's coming. Heads bowed with me. You find a place at the altar. Your king's coming. Your king's coming. I wonder if there's be some folks in here to be honest with this preacher real quickly. Say, preacher, pray for me. If I was to die right at this moment, I'm not ready to stand before the Lord. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand right up. Preacher, I'm not sure I'm ready to stand before the Lord. Just lift it up and you put it right back down. I see it. You can put it down. Anybody else, be honest with the preacher. Preacher, I'm not sure I'm ready to meet. Is there anybody? Your king's coming. If you died right now, do you know where you'd spend eternity? If you don't, why don't you put your hand up and say, Preacher, I'm not sure. I see that hand. You can put it down. Anybody else? A couple of hands is all I've seen. There may be more that I missed. Just lift your hand right up. I see it. Anybody else? I was asking you to be honest. That's all I'm doing. I'm not going to embarrass you or come to you. Your king's coming. The king is coming. morning I want you to listen to me if you raise your hand I'm going to try to lay it out as simple as I can the Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 3 and verse number 23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God if you raise your hand I want you to look at me I'm not looking at you I just want you to look at me All right, I'm not going to single you out I just want you to listen to me the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God that means that every person that's sitting around you, every person that you can see between me and you, they have sin. Everybody, if you're looking at me right now, know this. I was a part of that for all of sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 3 and verse number 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 23, for the wages of sin, because I'm a sinner, there's a penalty, there is a price, there is a payment. That is what the word wages means. For the wages or the payment of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, there's a payment for our sins, but there's a gift that was offered. You know that gift because you know this verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That was a gift. He gave His only begotten Son. That was a gift. Whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Bible tells us how we can receive that. Romans chapter number 10, verse number 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse number 10 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter number 10, verse number 13 says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You listening to me? I did that September 28, 1997. Years ago. But God saved me. And He'll do the same for you. I wonder if you'd bow your heads with me right now. And I wonder if you'd pray a prayer. If you're serious about this thing and you want to be saved today, I wonder if you'd pray a prayer similar to what I'm praying. Now, my prayer ain't saving you. Remember, it's confessing with your mouth. It's believing in your heart. You can repeat the prayer, but if you don't believe it in your heart, then it doesn't do any good. Amen. The Bible tells us that Jesus came, lived a perfect life. He died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. That's the gospel. Do you believe Jesus did that? If you did, why don't you call out on him? Maybe you do it something like this. Lord, I'm a sinner. Are you praying? Are you praying with me? Something similar. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I recognize today, God, that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. According to your word, I've sinned. According to your word, I need a Savior. According to your word, I can't save myself. So, Lord, the best way I know how, God, I come to you and ask you, forgive me of my sin come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I believe you came and died on a cross for me, was buried, three days later rose again. Lord, I want you to be king of my life. Since you gave your life for me, God, I'll give my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray. You praying in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, Lord. I wonder if you'd be honest with me and say, Preacher, I prayed that prayer with you this morning the best way I know how. Here's my hand lifted up. Nobody's looking around. I prayed that prayer, Preacher. Thank you. Anybody else? I prayed that prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bible says this, John, 1 John chapter number 5, verse number 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Lord, we thank you for what you've done here this morning. Lord, I ask you, Lord, to continue to do a work. Lord, we know you started something in their lives. God, we know that you'll finish it. Lord, I'm looking forward to the day where the trumpet will sound. I'm looking forward to the day of being with you forever. Because God, you are my king. There's times that I don't act like it. There's times that I fail you. But God, you're my king. God, you're my savior. Lord, I thank you for saving me. Lord, best way I know how, Lord, I, I, I give my life to you daily. Dying daily. Lord, that you may be honored and glorified, Lord, through the testimony of my life to this world. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.